Welcome, Bulls Nation, to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Gentile. Michael Walton, the editor of Bulls Confidential, is going to join me a little later to discuss the restart of the NBA season and the Bulls offseason, mainly in regards to Jim Boylan and the NBA draft. Um, But before we get into that, uh, there's definitely a more pressing issue that needs to be addressed. And we cannot ignore what's going on across the United States right now. Uh, There have been a wave of protests in response to the deaths and mistreatment of people of color at the hands of white supremacists and police officers. And it hit a boiling point with the murder of George Floyd by the hands of Minneapolis police officers a little over a week ago. I've had so many thoughts about this over the weekend, and it's, it's really hard to put it all into words because we've seen this over and over again. You know, an African-American or, or a person of color is murdered, is beaten, is profiled. And you just can't help but ask, when is it all going to stop? When's it going to stop? And you probably know this from my Twitter profile. I'm a white guy. And I always think of this. I can always walk out of my house, go for a walk, go for a drive, and never feel threatened. I can enjoy life. I can go about my business, and not be profiled, not be judged. And if you ever talk to your friends who are people of color, you know, I've had my friends tell me this, that it's in the back of their minds sometimes where they wonder if this is the day they're going to be profiled by police, by people in their own neighborhoods. Uh, Am I going to be pulled over? Are police going to stop me? I think it's very important that we acknowledge that this is a real issue that's going on every day. It's being brought to light now, but it's been happening for years and years and years in this country. You know, and I think what's really frustrating too, and I'm sorry if I go on a lot of mini tangents here, but what's really frustrating is that some people will take these protests and demonstrations and minimize them, and they'll cling on to rioting and looting and they use it as a way to dismiss the crux of what's being protested and that's the system is not balanced that certain people benefit and people of color seem to have roadblocks put in their way you know and in some cases that looting and rioting aside sometimes when tensions get high too um It's because people aren't listening. The peaceful protests have gone on for years and years, and still nothing's changed. You know, we can never forget why people are are taking to the streets for this and why people are upset. We always have to acknowledge why these protests are happening, especially white people like me. We have to acknowledge what's going on because ignorance is what gets us into this mess every time, and it's what prevents us from going forward. It's hard to have all the answers right now, uh, especially on a, on a bulk podcast, but I would just say this. I think it's very important, and I'm speaking more to people like me, white men. We need to take stock of our lives sometimes. You know, really think, like, why it is you, you are where you are. Sure, it might be hard work, dedication, but there's a privilege that, that we have. That helps us get to where we get. And why is it okay that we can't balance this out? 
that we can't level the playing field a little bit more and provide more opportunities for people of color? And why can't we just have a just system? You know, when it comes to the way that our law enforcement is run and operated, why can't that happen? You know, we should expect to do better. We do. We say this all the time in sports. You know, when you have a team strives every year to make the playoffs, if they just keep making it as an eighth seed every year with 41 wins, is that good enough? I mean, look at that for your country too. Is this good enough? Sure, some progress has been made, but is it good enough? I think you have to keep asking that question. Is it good enough? And it clearly isn't. So for us, you know, white guys, us white people, what is it that we can do? It's, I think, a very important discussion. If you have friends who are people of color, it's a conversation that you might, you might have. What can be done? What can we do? I think, you know, just my own thoughts, I think this November is very important. These elections that are coming up are very important. And it, it's not just the presidential election. That's a very important one, clearly. I, I don't have to state why. But look at the other elections going on in your state, congressional levels, in the Senate. Look at your, your state elections when it comes to governor's races, when it comes to your state legislature, when it comes to your local government. Because you'd be surprised how many within those local settings are what stir the pot. I covered local politics for a, a long time during college and after college, and I witnessed it out here in DuPage County. There's some very interesting, some very interesting people running your local government that might actually scare you a little bit and what they believe and what their philosophies are. And I also think it's very important for, for us to always acknowledge when we see uh, things that are racist, things that are prejudiced, and not be afraid to call them out when we see it. You know, whether that's in a discussion with friends and family, when you hear something that doesn't sound right, that you call it out, because that's where you build a good society, Right? We should always be challenging each other to do better. And when you hear those things, call that out. When you see those things, call it out. And whether that's on social media, in person, call it out. Um, because really, that's, that's how we can become agents of change. And there's much more to it. I don't want to pretend like I have all the answers. But there's, there's so much more that I would love to get into. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, if you follow me on social media, you follow me on Twitter, uh, at mgentile88, you know that I've been kind of sporadically putting my thoughts out there and probably will continue to. But I wanted to just get all of that out today for our listeners um, because we have a lot of people in Bulls Nation who are people of color. We've had contributors, you know them, who've come on this show who are people of color. And I think of them when these kind of things happen. And it, it, and it just hurts when you see these things consistently happening over and over again. Um, I want to bring Michael Walton from Bulls Confidential into this discussion. Uh, he joins us over the phone. Michael, thanks for hopping on. How you feeling? Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, honestly, I want to say I'm, I'm doing as well as one can be doing in such a wild time in U.S. history. It honestly feels like we're living in a, mo uh, a bad movie right now. But um, definitely, definitely making the best of everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, be before you came on, I had shared my thoughts about you know, everything going on in, in the country right now. And so you know, I really want to want to yield the floor to you and, and let you share your thoughts on, on everything that's that's happening, especially in the last week or so. 
Yeah, it's it's obviously been a wild, wild state of affairs. Um, before obviously saying anything, I just first off want to say I send my prayers to George Floyd's family. You know, I, I really want to send my prayers to George Floyd's family and anyone who's had someone affected by police brutality. Um, obviously, I'm extremely sad at the state of affairs and everything that's happened. Um, I am happy, however, that at the very least, now we have this issue sort of pushed to the forefront where we're sort of being open about this. We're discussing things. Um, you know, I think the number one thing I want to say here is obviously issues like this are becoming highly politicized because that's what people do. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, this is a human issue. And the issue is we for too long have seen systemic racism in this country that has really disadvantaged black and brown people. So um, we've got to take a look in the mirror. And as a society, we have to really work together and try to look forward to some actual changes and actually sort of overhaul the system here because there's no reason a police officer should, should be able to get away with killing someone. And of course, you know, it, I was very shaken up the whole time. So really the number one thing I wanna say most of all is anyone out there, you know, call your friends and family, especially please check, you know, on, on your, your black friends and family because it's a trying time right now. And even I understand for a lot of people who don't really know where they fit in or what to say, you don't have to do anything profound. You know, I want to give a quick shout out to uh, Rob Schaefer, uh, writer at NBC Sports Chicago, who's the Bulls beat writer there. And it was a perfect example. He reached out to me and he said, you know, I know it's a loaded question, but I just want to know how are you doing right now? So I'd just like to tell anyone, you know, reach out to all of your friends and family, especially your black friends and family. And just, you know, you don't have to make it a long paragraph or something drawn out. Just reach out and ask them how are they doing sincerely because it's, it's a tough time mentally for a lot of people right now. A lot of my friends and family I know are literally just mentally and physically exhausted at all this going on this week. So, like I said, reach out to your loved ones and just make sure people are okay. And hopefully we can work together to really reforming a clearly broken system. I think that's well said, Michael. And, you know, I think for, for someone like me, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a white guy and um, I do have friends who are people of color and, and it's sometimes, you know, it can be a little challenging to kind of have that conversation, but I think it's definitely an important one to have. Um, how can you broach that subject in an effective and meaningful manner? Yeah, I mean, as I said, there, there's been a lot today. And the number one thing I want to say is, you know, I don't knock anyone for trying to show support in any way they can. Obviously, you know, if, if you look at my Twitter personally or my Instagram, you know, I, I haven't been extremely active just because I've been sort of just talking again to my friends and family and people. So, again, any show of unity or any gesture you make online or on social media, just remember that that's always a good start. And, you know, no one is condemning anyone for making a post or, or doing anything, you know, to support. It's just that we want to make sure you're being sincere there and going the extra mile. So, really, all I would say is, Again, it, it's a tough and complex topic, so I don't fault anyone for trying to understand or trying to open up a discussion. But however, again, I, I do people put people at fault, anyone who wants to make it sort of a, a black and white situation. And I don't mean in terms of race. I mean black and white in terms of, you know, good and evil. The, the thing that needs to be number one is, again, you know, black people are human beings. And the number one issue we're seeing here is with the Black Lives Matter movement, there's obviously a lot of pushback with, with All Lives Matter, which, again, is sort of a, a misguided attempt to sort of be inclusive there when really you're sort of taking attention away 
from what the entire movement is about in the first place. So I would just say to anyone that's like very much struggling with how to approach this issue, if you, like I said, if you have black friends and family, just reach out to them, you know, personally over text and ask them, you know, how are they doing? What are your thoughts on the situation? Because at the end of the day, you know, we can all make our assumptions of how people are feeling, but the, the best way to educate yourself is just really to talk to people and to listen. You know, I think the, the biggest issue we're seeing right now is there's a lot of people talking, but there's not a lot of people just sort of taking in information. So I would just tell people to, you know, stay read up, stay educated, and more than worrying about sharing any sort of pieces of propaganda, definitely make sure you read up on places you can donate to help out. Because obviously, you know, there, there's a lot of different ways you can help, but if you do have the wherewithal to be able to uh, contribute monetarily to any cause, that is the number one way to do it. And, um, you know, my Twitter is Zen Master Mike, which I'm sure I'll, I'll say again there, but I've been trying to do as much as I can with other people retweeting anywhere around the city of Chicago where they're giving out free lunches, you know, feeding students, giving out free supplies, trying to help people. So really, like I would say, rather than trying to get out your own message on social media, definitely seek out people who are telling people about places where you can actually get help and amplify those voices. Because all we can do right now is, like I said, try to work together to make sure we're helping everyone. Because there's a lot of black and brown people right now who are in a very dire situation. And, you know, a lot of these people are already in dire situations and just the plight of the city right now is put making things even worse. So it, it's tough because, like I said, it's not just, a, you know, a one part issue, you know, mentally people are exhausted, physically people are exhausted, you know, obviously politics are, are playing heavy in this. So, like I said, it's a very complex and nuanced issue where I don't think there's any one right or wrong way to, to go about supporting, but I just think, like I said, always reach out to your black and brown friends and ask them how can you help what can you do to support them because i just think right now like i said being there for the people close to you that that's the number one way we're going to help everyone out is just showing love to everyone man because right now that's the one thing i notice you know you go on any website any social media there's not a lot of love out there right now so you know yeah. i want people to go out there and protest still and have their voices heard and you know try to again go out there and, and speak up on the issues that you feel strongly about and ask for police reform. Make sure we're actually getting to a point where we're going to address this and not just sort of have a movement and then sort of brush it, sweep it under the rug, you know, a week from now. So I think we are seeing a moment in American history that, again, could literally be in history books one day. I think this is the start of something much, much bigger. So I would just tell people, like I said, if you have any black or brown friends, reach out to them first make sure you know how are they doing ask them about their well-being and then ask them you know i've been struggling with this is there any way i can help because at the end of the day the only thing that matters is that you're trying to actually sincerely you know go out there and, and help i think you, you make a really interesting point that this is a you know a real turning point in american history you have you know this going on right now and, and of course we have a pandemic going on right now that's that's affecting everybody globally and it's really highlighted a lot of, of other issues going on with, um, and, and I get it, we're, we're a Bulls podcast, but it's it's hard to ignore this, that, you know, you see disadvantages with healthcare, with, with jobs, you know, certain people have the ability to work from home, but we see that there's other people who, whose jobs are, are being, you know, furloughed or they're losing jobs. And it's just a really tense time. And it, it's very interesting that it's coming, you know, at, at this point, it's, it is an election year. And I, I do kind of see that with you, that it really could be a, a major turning point in our country. 
And, and yeah, and something I wanted to touch on is, and she sort of mentioned there, you know, there was a lot of people who obviously use public transportation to get to work, and due to mm -hmm. sort of the, the city's response to protests, sort of cutting off CTA and a lot of public transportation at certain times, it left a lot of people stranded around the city. And of course, that is an extremely sad thing, but then you saw a lot of people banding together on social media trying to reach out saying, hey, if there's anyone who needs a ride home, you know, we're trying to find people and give them a ride home. So. It's a lot of very sad things that are happening, but it's leading to you seeing examples of the community bonding together in different ways we can help each other out. So we're at a point right now where if, you know, if, if the government, if, if the city, if people aren't going to look out uh, for black and brown people, then as a society, we have to band together and look out for black and brown people because that's what this issue is about right now. And that's why I commend any of the organizations, the corporations, you know, I don't commend them too heavily because, you know, we're not going to make that that deep of a discussion, but they're obviously ulterior motives and things when you're talking about a corporation putting out a statement. Uh, but to all the corporations that directly addressed the issue and directly said police brutality and directly addressed the black community, you know, that's the way to go. Because when you're talking about an issue like this, and I think you touched on it, Matt, there's really no tiptoeing around it. And, uh, you know, you're either going to talk about the issue head on or you're not going to at all. And you're sort of going to just put out a blanket statement to appease people. So I understand that everyone obviously is going to have to put out a statement one way or another. But I really want to go the extra mile and just say, you know, I commend those that directly actually address the issue of police brutality in their statements. Because that's that's why we're at the moment in history that, that we're in right now is because, you know, the the unfortunate death in George Floyd that could have been prevented with, with a little bit of sort of, you know, with a little bit of restraint from the Minneapolis Police Department. So it's a very, very sad thing. But this moment in history, like I said, is one that we won't forget and one that hopefully, hopefully will lead to some actual reform in the justice system. To kind of tie it in, because again, we are, we are a Bulls and NBA podcast. I mean, we always see that the NBA always seems to be at the forefront of these issues. We, we've had a lot of players uh, in the past uh, that who have demonstrated their, their beliefs and their, their thoughts on some of these issues over the years. And I'm kind of curious your thoughts on just the NBA's response to this. You know, Adam Silver putting out statements, many teams and players putting out statements, a lot of players uh, getting involved in some of these demonstrations and protests. And so what, what have been your thoughts just on on the NBA community's uh, response to, to all of this going on? Uh, yeah, as, as you touched on, Matt, the NBA sort of has made a reputation for themselves to sort of be in the forefront of social justice issues and speaking out. And I don't think they, they've been any different here. They've done a great job with it. Um, of course, again, when you're talking about each individual team putting out their statements, you know, we, we have our issues here and there with that. And of course, uh, I won't go too deep into it, but the New York Knicks sort of not putting out a statement at all was a, a debacle, if you ask me, in my opinion, so how that turned out. But basically, I would say as a whole, the league has done a good job. What I am, again, I commend Adam Silver most for is obviously, you know, the players can do whatever they want, but I feel like Silver is encouraging such players if they want to go out there and be with protesters and be out there in the field. He's allowing players to do that. And, you know, just yesterday I was seeing videos of Trey Young out there with protesters. You know, Jalen Brown has been out, I believe, in Atlanta for a long time now. So the NBA, I, I like their response just because everyone can sort of give these, you know, blanket statements or big, you know, sort of corporate, corporatized statements about how they feel about racism. But with the NBA, you see a lot more personal touch. And I think you sort of feel that these people are being sincere. You're actually hearing their stories. 
Um, I wanted to give a specific shout out. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, I believe, in their statement, they had Doc Rivers sort of talk a little bit about his background growing up in Chicago. And similar to me, uh, Doc Rivers' father actually served in the Chicago Police Department for 30 years. So, um, again, I have that same experience. My father was a Chicago police officer for literally three decades. And so, you know, it's, it's a very, again, complex and nuanced, op, you know, discussion for us because, you know, you've seen that other side. I have family members who, you know, who have been police officers and who have been out there, you know, putting their lives on the line to try to help. But the point of this discussion is, is that, you know, not all police are out there trying to help people. And that's why we're in this moment we're in in history and why we need serious reform when it comes to how we're prosecuting police officers who use excessive force. So I commend the NBA just because I feel like, you know, for the most part, we've seen them let each team, you know, actually put a little bit of personality and, and actually, you know, discuss the issue deeper. They went to people within the organization like a Doc Rivers who actually has experience with this and can speak to the issue. Um, because again, you can have anyone just write a statement that says something, but it's different when you actually try to make a nuanced effort to get someone who can speak to the topic uh, to discuss it. So I think basically to, to sum it up there, I would say the NBA has done a great job of making sure the people with the most powerful voices and, and with the most powerful messages, the NBA makes sure to amplify those voices. And I think a lot of other leagues, while they will support you know, their, their stars who speak out, they don't necessarily amplify their message. And the NBA wants to make sure you hear them loud and clear. So that's why I commend them for how they handle the situation. Yeah, and, and they've always been, I think, a very great model for the different sports leagues in our country. And really, it always comes from a place of authenticity. So I, I feel like it's always, it's always a genuine response whenever things like this do happen. Um, I do want to, you know, segue into some some discussion about the Chicago Bulls and about the restart of the NBA season. There's no easy way to do that. Um, so the, the the NBA season is about to to restart. There's, I guess, a proposal that that looks like it could get some legs to it, where the top 16 teams and six teams that are on the bubble, so 22 teams total, will be playing some games starting in July, and it looks like the Bulls are going to be on the outside looking in. So first, before we get to the Bulls, are you happy to see the NBA season starting back up again? Do you think this model that's being kicked around is a, is a good one, or is there a better way that, that the NBA could do this? Uh, so first off, I am extremely excited, you know, that, that the NBA could be back around the corner. Um, as, as we sort of segue, you know, back into sort of the, the sports portion here, obviously there's a, there's a crazy amount of things going on in the world right now. Um, but like I said, I, I don't feel bad saying I, I do badly, obviously, miss NBA basketball here. Um, my number one concern is obviously here for the safety of the players. Uh, but again, I have a feeling we know the NBA has had tons of discussions, so they wouldn't get to a point where they're sort of putting things in motion unless they've absolutely looked over things with health officials and, you know, they know they're going to be able to have players in a safe environment. So as far as just the on-court portion of things, um, I do like bringing 22 teams into the fold. Originally, I was a little skeptical just because I sort of wanted to go straight to the traditional playoff format and sort of pick back up there. Uh, But I do see the merit and sort of creating a little bit more excitement by almost having like, it's not really, I don't think there's going to be a play-in tournament necessarily, uh, but just the fact that you're sort of playing out some games here to, to sort of get guys back in the shape, because my number one concern is, you know, guys have obviously been off for a long time. Not everyone's LeBron, but they're going to be in tip-top shape here. So 
I think 22 teams is a good number just because it'll, it'll give them enough time and enough teams to sort of play out some games just to get guys back into shape in the general scheme of things. And I love the fact that the six teams that were closest to playoff contention, regardless of conference, uh, were chosen to be a part of this. Because, again, um, I would love for the Bulls to be in a postseason position if they earned their way to it. Uh, but especially with a team that's this young and still trying to sort of learn their way through things, I don't think playing in sort of this sort of playoff would have really given them the necessary experience or been as beneficial to their development uh, as it could have been in a more traditional setting. So as far as the 22 team plan, I like it right now just because I really wasn't feeling the World Cup style thing. I didn't want to mess too much with the traditional format of the NBA. So this seems like a good way to sort of put a twist on things, but still keep it not too far from the norm. Yeah, and I think as a Bulls fan, I I know that I'm I'm kind of done with the Bulls this year. I, I don't know if I wanted to to see more basketball. Um, I, and really, with with the hiring of our Arturis Karnishevis and and Mark Eversley. I'm kind of just ready to get on with the off season. Like, at least that's my thought. Like, just just start the off season. Let's get to all the other moves that need to be made. Yeah, I agree with you there, Matt, wholeheartedly. Just because you know the Bulls, obviously, again, we're we're a little biased here, but I definitely think they are one of the. I don't know where I would have put them. I want to say top five for sure, most intriguing situations teams in the league to follow right now, and it's simply because of where they are in their franchise history right now. Um, you know, Arturis is brought in. He brings in Mark Eversley, who has a great reputation. And so it seems like the Bulls are sort of going into this big sweeping rebuild where you're seeing the front office, you know, made over right in front of your eyes. And then all of a sudden it felt like that progress all sort of came to a halt at the, you know, at the obvious doorstep of Jim Boylan because, you know, regardless of whether he's going to be, you know, the coach next season or not, Obviously, the Bulls didn't want to make a decision when you don't even know if the 2019-2020 season is still going on. So I completely understand the need to sort of wait to see how this season plays out before they decide, you know, ultimately what is going to happen with Jim Boylan. Um, But I do think there are going to be obviously a lot more moves made, and I feel like just the nature of where we were in the season sort of just put the Bulls in a weird spot there. Yeah, let's get to Jim Boylan because I think a lot – of the reporters that cover the team and uh, all of us fans that are sort of watching this on the peripherals all, all sort of think the same thing, that Jim Boylan's not long for the road, that Jim Boylan is, is likely going to be replaced here. Um, really, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think this is going to happen pretty swiftly? And who are some names that could be on that list to, to be the next head coach of the Chicago Bulls? Yeah, so uh, I definitely was originally of the mind when they brought in our tourists that you know, Boylan was definitely out. Then they brought in Mark Eversley. It just felt like it was a matter of time. And then, of course, as I said, you sort of saw things peter out and more stories start to come out about, you know, Boylan may get another year. Who knows? Um, In my honest opinion, you know, I would say I would just go with whatever the players are saying. If the players in all of your interviews are telling you they want to move on, then your team is too young to sort of not listen to them and move on unless you're going to trade core guys. But if, you know, if Window Carter, Zach Levine, and Lowry Markinen are all telling Eversley and, and Karnasovas that, you know, we love Jim Boylan, which, you know, that would be wild. <laughs> but if that's what those guys are saying, then, uh, then I think Boylan should get another chance. I really would say leave it basically up to the players because they've had to deal with him more than, 
you know, anyone else. So I think they ultimately know if he's prepared for this job, if they want to keep working with this guy. And ultimately, I think the Bulls will probably need to move on from Boylan just because if you're bringing in another lottery pick talent, you know, you really have to look in the mirror and say, these first four years of development for these players is really going to be important to them. Do we want Jim Boylan developing those players? And so you have to answer that question. Um, as far as names on the list, I actually have an article that I wrote for Bulls Confidential, and that's uh, bullsconf.com, bullsconf.com, where I talked about Adrian Griffin. Uh, he's a name that you've probably heard lightly in circles, the Toronto Raptors assistant coach, Adrian Griffin. And the mm-hmm. article I wrote was about, is he the ideal fit? In my opinion, he would be. Um, he's sort of the best of both worlds. But before I get to Griffin really quickly, a couple other names, I think Kenny Atkinson, obviously uh, would be a great hire that a lot of people are keeping their eyes on just because, again, he did such a great job in Brooklyn with the young players. And then, of course, you can never, you know, rule out the retreads. Tom Thibodeau getting a second spin in Chicago, you know, that, that's not going to happen, obviously, because of his sort of ongoing situation here with the Knicks. But, you know, you could even see a guy like Stan Van Gundy. Let's say he came out of the woodwork and did great in the interview. Maybe, you know, our tourists would want to go in that direction. But I think Adrian Griffin, uh, would be the ideal fit. And I don't have any inside tip or anything, but I would bet that Arturis already has tabbed him as a top candidate. And so in the article I wrote, I touched on the first thing that people need to know, and, and many people you know, have already looked at this, but Arturis played college basketball at Seton Hall, where he actually was teammates with Adrian Griffin. Um, they actually had some great teams at Seton Hall, uh, specifically the 93-94 season. They were, they were really good, but Basically, Arturis and Adrian Griffin have had a relationship, at least from college, where they're college teammates. Then when you get to Adrian Griffin's pro career, of course, he played on the Chicago Bulls and then later was an assistant coach for the Chicago Bulls. So Adrian Griffin is one of the few people out there who can say he has a legitimate connection to the Garpax regime, and he also has a legitimate connection to the new regime uh, under Karnaschovas and Eversley in Chicago. So Adrian Griffin, I think, is the one candidate you're going to find who kind of has a nice relationship already with everyone who sort of is making important decisions in Chicago. So I think he would be the way to go. He's a former player and players love that. Obviously the fact that he's played for the Bulls, he's familiar with the organization. And then also I feel like he's a player's coach. Um, He's a guy that I think Zach Levine would really gravitate to. I think he's a guy who would be patient with a player like Lowry Markkinen. And, you know, most of all, he won a championship as an assistant coach, of course, with the Toronto Raptors. And I just think you can't really put a price on championship experience. And he would bring a lot to the table if he was given an opportunity in Chicago. So Adrian Griffin definitely would be my pick. Well, a a couple of things from your response. Number one, um, yeah, Adrian Griffin, he reminds me a lot of um, when Tom Thibodeau got a lot of hype as as an up-and-coming assistant. I feel like there's a lot there with, with Adrian Griffin. It seems like his name is really growing more and more in NBA circles. And I think it's just a matter of time before he gets a head coaching job somewhere in the league. Um, The other thing too, I got to say is, you know, I love the plug for Bulls Confidential because that blog has lived forever and ever. And I'm so impressed that, that you've been continuing to keep it going and going because that's a blog that I, I, I had to bring this up at some point in our conversation. That's a blog that dates back to my days in high school. So I'm, I'm 31, so it, it's been around for a while. You know? oh, it's been around for a long, long time. Yeah, many iterations. And 
I always give a shout out to uh, the people who really brought me into the fold there, Will Gottlieb, and then MK Hoops, Mark, who they're still very active on Twitter. But yeah, Bulls Confidential, like I said, we try to be a community. And even when we're not as active with posts because things are going to be spotty, you know, we always try to stay active on Twitter and keep the conversation going. Um, one of our writers, Ryan Borja, just had a great article about Adam Amin getting the color commentary job with the Bulls. And then also uh, my co-editor, uh, Joffrey Clark, also did some great stuff uh, as well. So, yeah, really, we, we try to keep it going. But like I said, we are all very excited to keep it going once the Bulls sort of get things rolling in this new direction. Mm-hmm. And you also do a lot of coverage for college basketball. You write a lot about you know prospects that are, are coming up. And I, I got to admit, it's the one area where I'm at my weakest. And so I'm kind of just curious with – with the off season for the Bulls, you know, the draft's going to be a big part of it. We're still kind of uncertain where the Bulls will, will pick, given history, probably number seven. And we're so, slotted now. We're still slotted at seven. Exactly. Like, even, even the projection has the Bulls at number seven. So that's all you need to know. What do you think are some realistic names that, that could be on the Bulls' radar uh, come draft time, whenever that does actually happen? Yeah, so and that's actually something I'm going to be working on for Bulls Confidential. Uh, right now, I've had my NBA draft big board, which probably, you know, I want to say in March, maybe is when I had put my finishing touches on about a top 30, and that went up on fan sided. So I'm working on right now a big board that's going to be bull specific to where you sort of see me rank some prospects. I haven't decided how many, but sort of basically what the Bulls big board should look like, in my opinion. So um, for the Bulls, it's interesting because Kobe White being picked last year complicates things. Uh, because in my eyes, this draft class is extremely guard-heavy at the top. Uh, so it does become awkward in that. But the Bulls are pretty much have holes everywhere. So just for starters, um, my number one prospect overall is LaMelo Ball. And so, you know, while the Bulls have Kobe White, obviously a dream come true for me would be the Bulls get the number one pick and can get LaMelo. Because I believe he's a generational talent at point guard. You know, he's going to be a franchise point guard. His passing skills are so advanced. Um, right now, you know, he's an incredible, like I said, playmaker. His ball handling is more flash than substance right now. His defense is dreadful. <laughs> and when you look at the stats, you'll be a little confused because his shot selection was terrible. But I'm saying all these things because you have to sort of analyze him under that lens because when you put him on an NBA floor with NBA teammates, you're going to see his shot selection change, and you're probably going to see those assist numbers go way up when he's playing with talented teammates, especially somebody who can fill it up like Zach Levine or a Lowry Martin. And so I think LaMelo would really solve a lot of issues in terms of a guy who can just bring the ball up court, and you know he's going to get the scores and the ball in positions to score. Um, something that's killed me over the years is watching Lowry Martin and seal his man deep in the post after running the floor hard, and then, you know, he doesn't get the ball in the first four seconds, and then he gets fronted mm-hmm. in the post, you know, play over, and now Lowry Martin is a spot-up shooter. A guy like LaMelo Ball is trying to sort of seek out your big and make sure they get those early touches. So um, he would be the number one. Another guy I think Bulls fans should keep an eye on, Denny Avija. Uh, he's a little bit more of an enigma because, you know, obviously an international prospect. You're not going to easily find full, full game footage of any or anything. Uh, but his game is incredibly, incredibly skilled. It's hard to say how I would describe him, but he almost reminds me of sort of a Danilo Gallinari if Danilo Gallinari was a playmaker first and a scorer second. So um, I think Denny Avija is the type of player who would really fit in in Chicago. 
And then just one more guy, Isaac Okoro from Auburn. He is a defensive machine. Uh, he's a lot stronger than he looks, and I think he can play both the three and the four in, in the NBA. And then the guy I want to point out, this one makes me a little sad because it's almost like a Larry Markinen replacement, uh, but Obi Toppin out of Dayton. Obviously, mm. he captured everyone's attention this year with his incredible run in, in Maui and just throughout the season. But Obi Toppin would be great for the Bulls because he is a bona fide scorer, and that's what he's going to do at the NBA level. He's going to get buckets. And so he will have a little bit more aggressiveness, I think, than your average rookie just because he is so polished. And I think if you put him in Chicago, whether he came off the bench or starter or whatever the situation is, he's a guy where you can play him next to Wendell Carter or next to Larry Markman. And while defensively it won't be great, you'll have more than, you know, one scoring option on the floor. Because I've been rewatching a lot of Bulls games from, you know, post-All-Star break. And, you know, you see too much of the time there's a lineup on the floor where you don't know who's the legitimate scoring threat. You know, there might be a time where the best scorer on the floor is Luke Cornett. So the Bulls need to be, you know, looking for best player available because fit doesn't really matter right now. The Bulls need to bring in talent and then you sort of let the chips fall where they may. I think that's the, the smart draft strategy to do when you're in this, this rebuild mode here and especially with a new regime in town. Um, you know, you brought up the mellow ball, and I'm glad you did because something I keep thinking about, if, if the Bulls did land the number one pick in, in this draft, what move would the Bulls potentially make after that? So if they end up picking LaMelo Ball, are they going to move Kobe White? Are they going to move a guy like Zach Levine? Could you see that happening with, with this new regime? Uh, so, so with this new regime, I do think you're going to see them be aggressive meaning if the, you know, they're going to be looking for the best deals available. And if the best deal available, you know, means they're sending out Zach Levine or they're sending out, you know, a Lowry Markman, Wendell Carter, Kobe White, I don't think you're going to see them scared to trade anyone. So I definitely don't think there's anyone on the roster right now who's untouchable. It's interesting though, because when you talk about LaMelo Ball, a LaMelo Ball, Zach Levine, you know, backcourt from the outset is a defensive travesty. <laughs> and as much as I love LaMelo Ball, you know, I'm not going to pretend like that would be something uh, that would work out great. But what you would have to do in that scenario is the other, you know, three players in that lineup really have to complement those two perfectly. So it really becomes a matter of, you know, how do they want to build, build the team? So in my opinion, I would, I would keep Zach Levine just because for the contract he's on, I still think, mm-hmm. think Zach's a great player. I still think Zach's going to be capable of being your leading scorer, even if he's not necessarily the best player on the team. And so I think that's too valuable of a commodity to get up to give up on right now, just because he's still too young. Consider moving Kobe White just because of the age, but I wouldn't want to move Kobe either. If I'm being realistic, I would want to move Sadoransky uh, and Thad Young just because they're veterans. And those guys deserve to be on a you know, on a playoff team fighting for a title. I'm sure they both have their reasons to sign with Chicago. But Sadoransky specifically, if you get a LaMelo ball, you know, as much as it's great to have Sadoransky around to sort of teach him some things and sort of help him with the NBA transition, I think you'd be fine to trade Sadoransky and your guard rotation is, you know, LaMelo ball with Kobe White as a six-man backup and Zach Levine as again as your starting two because you have a lot of scoring there. You know, you have so much offense – you know, your defense, like I said, in the backcourt is going to suffer a little bit, but that's the point of drafting guys like Wendell Carter and Daniel Gafford. 
um, you know, while you might have to work on your perimeter defense a little bit, you have guys on the back end that can absolutely protect the rim. Really going to play into how the Bulls built this team is, are they going to continue to play this aggressive trapping brand of defense they did uh, last season? You know, that was something we saw brought in sort of under the new coaching staff here uh, with Roy Rogers coming in. But Jim Boylan definitely said, you know, obviously he's the head coach of the team. He makes those final decisions. So if the Bulls move on from Boylan, a big issue becomes, you know, how are they playing defense? Because then you have a lot of things changing. So long story short, if the Bulls took number one, had the number one pick, I would draft LaMelo Ball and I would keep all of my young players and I would move off the veterans and just try to go to a youth movement. Unfortunately for fans, you know, that is sort of a signal that you're heading towards more losing. But that's where the Bulls are at right now. You know, you can't be picky. And the only way you can get into a situation where you're definitely a winning team, you know, the next season is if you're talking about the Bulls moving a package of draft picks and players to get a superstar. And right now, I just don't really see any of those moves available. So yeah, that, that Zach Levine contract's interesting, and you, you brought it up because it's a very affordable deal, um, you know, based on what we, I think, initially thought. And, you know, it kind of makes you think, though, what kind of deal could you get for him? So if if the Bulls were approached with a blowaway offer, like one that they couldn't refuse, what would that look like in your opinion? Uh, so if the Bulls were sort of approached with a blowaway offer here, I think – it starts with sort of one or two things here. And I think either A, you're getting a surefire franchise point guard or you're getting a surefire franchise uh, big man because I think those are right now just the two most important positions, especially when it comes to defensive communication. You need a guy on the front end and then a guy on the back end who are sort of communicating and pick and roll defense, which is something that Zach Levine obviously struggles in heavily there. Um, when you're talking about taking Zach off of the team specifically, the defensive rating of the team and the defensive production is going to naturally get better anyway just because, you know, by nature he is one of the weaker defenders on the team. But you're going to lose a lot of offense to the point where your efficiency is falling off a cliff there. And we saw that a lot last season where, again, when Zach Levine was out, it would be exciting if the Bulls were able to hit 106 points. So. <laughs> Um, if the Bulls are getting rid of Zach Levine, you would definitely need to get, I think, a, a point guard that's, again, like established. And it's kind of tough because when I'm trying to come come with names, you know, there's really nothing out there. Like a guy like Chris Paul, obviously you would want him because of the age and the ridiculously bloated contract in the first place, which is what makes Levine so valuable. So I think if you were to try to get like proper value uh, for Levine, let's say you had a trade where you were giving away Zach Levine your lottery pick this year and, uh, you know, maybe a, a second or something protected and the Sacramento Kings are giving you De'Aaron Fox and a second round pick, that's something where it's like, you know, whoa, obviously the Bulls are, are giving up a decent amount there, but the Kings will be trading De'Aaron Fox, who, of course, is their franchise point guard. So, again, you're not going to see that happen, but that's the type of player the Bulls will be trying to go after. I think a, a young guard who's still – you know, young enough to fit with their timeline, but also established enough of a star to where they know they're getting an upgrade at the at the point guard position. So uh, that that's what I think you would have to do. You would have to package Levine or whatever player you're trading from the Bulls with some draft assets just to really up the ante. Because unfortunately, and again, that all goes back to coaching, I don't think we really did a great job of showcasing the assets on on the team. So 
you know, you kind of have to convince other teams that, you know, maybe we were mismanaged a bit last year. And, you know, the Zach Levine you saw, you know, in Chicago wouldn't be the Zach Levine you would see in Denver or in Boston or, you know, et cetera. So again, on Twitter, you're at Zen Master Mike. You are the editor for Bulls Confidential. Can you let people know where else they can find your work? Yeah, so like you said, at Zen Master Mike, editor of Bulls Confidential. You can also find my work on NBCSportsChicago.com, as well as Busting Brackets and Raptors Rapture. Uh, those are both fan-sided sites for college basketball and Toronto Raptors coverage. And yeah, outside of that, any other draft musings or, or thoughts I have, like I said, I definitely will be on Twitter with it. And like I said, if anyone just wants to reach out, you know, ask a question about draft or anything, always feel free because I'm available. Well, and I usually don't do this with guests. I don't try to book them while I'm recording, but I, what the hell. When we get closer to the draft, I definitely want to have you on again to talk about more prospects and, and dive into um, you know, exactly where the Bulls are picking and who might be available in that spot. So I, I hope you're willing to come on again because I would love to get into more of, uh, more of the draft prospects out there. Oh, I definitely would be open to come back. Yeah, when we get close to the draft, like you said, there's a, there's a lot more prospects to discuss. The 2020 class is a really interesting one specifically because I don't think you're going to see a lot of, you know, super superstars, but you're going to see a lot of players who are very good and have the, the potential to be great starters for a long, long time. So it's going to be an interesting draft, and I think the Bulls are going to be in a position to sneakily get a guy who might end up being the best player in the draft around a six or a seven. So it's an exciting time to be a Bulls fan, for sure. Mm-hmm. And with, with a new voice at the top, too. So, Michael, again, thank you so much for coming on to talk about the restart of the NBA season, the Chicago Bulls, and, of course, with everything going on in, in, in the country. So thank you so much, and uh, look forward to having you on again in the near future. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate it, Matt. I had a great time, and I'm definitely looking forward to it again. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts.